Welcome to Side Talks, the official podcast of the Sidewalk Film Festival and Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. I'm Corey Kraft, a features programmer. And I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director. This is episode lucky number 13. You like it? Yeah, I do. Here we go. You ready to uh, to get into it? We talk about movies. That's pretty much exclusively it. Let's do it. All right. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. Five-minute fight. All right. I've got my gloves on. Let's okay. do it. So you can go ahead and start the timer, and I'm happy to burn up some time with just saying this, and that is that I'm pretty sure you watch Pretty in Pink, and I'm pretty sure you're eating your words. I, I am. I'm eating my words. We'll talk ah, about that later. So good, right? Uh, yes. Okay, yes. moving right on. I don't care. I'll burn up some time with that <laughs> because I'm going to win this one no matter what. We're about to fight about the film I, Tanya. Which is bad. I don't understand why you like it so much. I loathe this movie. You? Why not, I'll tell you what. Why don't you tell me why you loathe it? I think that its uh, treatment of the whole affair is cartoonish it's glib i think the only decent performance in the movie is margot robbie who does bring a certain degree of humanity to a uh sideshow of grotesque cartoons including allison janney including sebastian stan i think it's sort of sub scorsese imitating filmmaking and i think that its treatment of domestic violence is horrifying i think it treats it as a joke uh and i'm i'm really just kind of bummed out and skeeved out by the whole thing yeah i think that you're wrong okay uh i don't necessarily think it it treats it that way i think it takes the same fuel that 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 story took in the media and uses that same fuel to deliver this this back to us i i agree it's glib i agree i agree that it's like it feels like it has enough distance from from a pretty traumatic and horrible incident um to feel comfortable sort of being a little bit on the nasty side and certainly the you know the domestic violence thing is is problematic at the same time like it's a damn movie and that particular content is there you know what i mean like it's part like you can't be mad at allison janney for putting a bird on her shoulder when the interviews had the damn woman with the bird on her shoulder when like that particular stuff went down i don't think that the that the domestic violence is glossed over i think it's really hard to watch i think it's really messed up um, I don't think it's really, you know, I don't think it's treated. Is it, it? Look, anytime you put domestic violence in a film, it's problematic, right? Sure. I'm sorry, but it is. And, and in this particular case, the tone of the film is such that it goes with that particular area of, uh, excuse me, that that particular era of journalism. And it's sort of, again, using that fuel. Did you not see the the freaking skating in this thing? Did you not see the thing, the way this thing was edited? Did you not, like... You know, the skating sequences are good. I think the editing, again, is, is sort of try-hard Thelma Schoonmacher Scorsese knockoff stuff. No, I, mean, I think it's, it's a combination be... of things. I mean, look, you, you'll you sit there and have Tar- Tarantino's back. I mean, this is certainly borrowed filmmaking. Like, go look at a film yes. like To Die For. This is clearly, like, there's no way that the filmmakers didn't see To Die For to die when for they made this film. To Die For is totally consistent, though. It's, uh, the Coen Brothers films are totally consistent. The Wolf of Wall Street is totally consistent. And you totally don't think consistent. this is totally consistent? As a matter of fact, your criticism of this film is the fact that the domestic violence is sort of in in, in the same sort of tone with the rest of the film, which is problematic. I don't think that it's a problem necessarily to portray that. I think it's a problem in this movie to portray it with such a a comic touch with, you know, to portray it as a joke. I just bumped the mic. I'm sorry. I'm getting impassioned. Well, Scorsese, leave the the bump in. Leave the mic bump (laughs) in. 
Um, you know, it's I just I just disagree with you. I think that you're wrong about this particular film. I understand that being an upsetting thing. I don't think it's treated as a. I really don't think it's treated as a joke. I think as a whole, this sort of jokes on us, and that's where people feel a little weird about this film because the joke is on us. I wish it was like more obviously that though. I don't think it's that enough. I think something like again to go back to Scorsese, The Wolf of Wall Street is an indictment of the audience. Is an indictment of the audience audience's morals. Uh, I think that I Tanya though might take a uh, an inartful approach to that by having characters talk directly to the camera and say things like, "Hey viewer, fuck you. This is what you wanted to see. Well, look at me get the shit kicked out of me, and don't you feel bad for having to sit here and watch it?" I don't. I I think that it's more about what a conflicting character Tanya Harding is in life, right? And so it's sort of taking that same kind of thing where, you know, you've got somebody who's like a sympathetic character and a completely unsympathetic character. And I think you experience that in this film, that you're sort of like, you know, at one minute making fun of her, at the next minute you're really sort of empathizing with her. And I think that, you know, it's, I think, again, it's sort of looking at the media that was happening at that particular time and, you know, using it as... Uh, fodder to to create this film Uh, but it's it's smart it's stylish it's innovative i don't think it's particularly smart you really don't think it's a smart film no i don't do you think the performances are good yes i think that they're i think that they are good for what it is that's that it's hitting a particular note and that's what the and and it's doing what it's intended to do it is not a film that is i mean oh you think the the performances in wolf of wall street are that much damn different yeah no yeah I do. Absolutely not. I, I do. I We're think dealing in the same sort of waters here. No, but I think that Daitanya dips its toes too many times into the, you know, what people who criticize the Coen brothers. Damn also, it. Margot Robbie's name is Margot Robbie, which is like the coolest name ever. Okay, nobody's disputing that. I win. You don't. It's a bad movie. Sam. Damn. <laughs> How am I supposed to argue with? No, you're just wrong. Well, like, I mean, that's what points. I say every they're time, but it shouldn't it's, surprise you. <laughs> Are you sweating? Yeah, I'm, I got angry. Golfing microphones and sweating. Well, <laughs> Rachel says that it's it sort of uses the same fuel that the news media did um, when the actual story was being reported on, and it's very true. Um, the whole tone sort of matches the overall absurdity of the real life event of. A woman getting her knee bashed um, before an Olympic ice skating event. Um, and also, Rachel says it's a damn movie, but I think you can look to movies, which is the whole point of like what we do with Sidewalk and the podcast, and look into a movie and get something deeper out of it instead of just surface level domestic abuse is funny, which the film kind of plays into and rachel says that the joke is on the audience and i kind of agree but they barely make a point of um of expressing that um really the only scene is where margot robbie states to the camera how how can you just sit there and watch this you are the source of the problem as well but there was just one scene the rest of the movie is sort of sensationalized violence and also just in my opinion, the whole like CGI face mapping of Margot Robbie's face on the stunt skater's um, body was just looked bad and took you out of it. Um, and so I don't even think the skating sequ- sequences were that good. Um, so I have to say this is a total tie between Rachel and Corey. 
And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'm going to talk about a film called Night on Earth. It was released in 1991, and it was written and directed by Jim Jarmusch. It's a collection of five vignettes, taking place during the same night, featuring taxi drivers and passengers in five cities. Jarmusch wrote the script in eight days, inspired by all the strange taxi rides he had taken over the years, mostly in New York. He said, Movies always show people moving from location to location, but you rarely see those moments in between. So this was a film made up of seemingly insignificant moments. He said, Being in the back of a cab is an unusual situation. You're confined in a small space with a stranger, and you have nothing invested in the relationship. You can say whatever you want. You can be completely honest or dishonest, and that kind of freedom in a brief, intimate relationship was interesting. The budget was $3.5 million, so it would seem that the film would be shot in a studio for cost purposes, but Jarmusch insisted on filming on location in the five cities, Los Angeles, New York, Paris, Rome, and Helsinki, because he wanted to work with actors from those cities. The shoot itself sounds as if Jarmusch was trying to make it as hard as possible for his cinematographer Fred Elms. Due to budget constraints, the production couldn't afford to hire a flatbed truck to put the taxi on, nor could they pay the fees to shut down the streets. So they ended up with a crazy rig of two taxi cabs, one with the actors and the other with Elms and his cameraman crouching down to stay out of the shot. And that whole thing was pulled by a tow truck. Lighting the inside of a moving cab in real traffic at night was also a challenge. Once all the lights were put in place, there was no way for the actors to get out of the cab, which caused a big problem during filming in Helsinki when the tow truck ran over train tracks and the rig came loose, leaving the actors trapped in the cab with trains coming in both directions. The crew had to scramble as fast as they could to push the cab out of the way. There was one aspect of the shoot that Fred Elms, the cinematographer, did enjoy, and that was bakeries would just be opening as the crew wrapped every morning, so he could cap off his workday with a cup of coffee and a nice, fresh pastry. You know what coffee I had on my way here? What's that? I had Lucy's Coffee it's good, it's from good Lucy's coffee. coffee and Tea. Love it. Love it. She's a sponsor. They're a sponsor. Uh, really, really great soup and always vegetarian soup, Yeah, which is nice. Um, of course, we always have to thank Regions, Regions Bank, right? Is that absolutely. where you do your banking? That's absolutely where I do my banking, and we're so happy that they are a frequent sponsor for sidewalk-related stuff. We also, um, man, I love to, I love Rojo. God, they're the best, right? Well, I mean, you can sit out there and have a view of the park and eat a veggie burger, so it's really nice. I just had a very good salad there the other day. Love their chips and salsa. So good. Love those french fries from Carragun's Public House. Absolutely. And right, right near uh, where I live, so go there frequently. Very cool. And, uh, and of course, you know, you can be sipping on some Cahaba beer there as well, right? Absolutely. Frequently yeah. do. And I also love Farrell's Ice Cream, who they are, you know, no longer in business. But, man, I would love it if they were. Those were the days, I guess. We would get them to sponsor us with some ice cream. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Corey, what are you watching right now? Well, as you alluded to earlier, Rachel, I uh, finally did some homework for this podcast and uh, watched a seminal teen movie from the 80s called Pretty in Pink, uh, written by John Hughes. Glorious. Directed by Howard Deutsch. Um, Glorious. With Molly Ringwald, John Cryer. Andrew McCarthy and James Spader. Wait, you did not say James Spader with enough emphasis for with, this one. And James Spader. Um, it's a really good movie. 
Uh, I'm going to have to eat my words a little bit Thank uh, you. regarding our previous Hughes discussion. Um, this sort of answers some of the criticisms I have of The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. Yeah. To the degree that, like, it's surprising to me that the same guy wrote all three of these movies. Uh, it addresses the sort of 80s materialist class divide in a way that I think is really... Um, Really refreshing, really interesting. Um, I, I find The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller, as I've said, to be really glib, really sort of irresponsible championings of, of this materialist culture, especially Ferris Bueller. I think that Pretty in Pink, though, um, really speaks to a sort of class division with the character of Andy, played by Molly Ringwald. Uh, in a really nice way. She's sort of the loner girl from the other side of the tracks uh, who makes her own clothes. Works with Annie Potts. I mean, can we also yeah. just really quickly recognize that he's cast Annie Potts and he's also ca- cast Harry Dean Stanton? Uh, that, Harry Dean Stanton is the key to this movie working for me. Like, well, of course it is. I mean, that's not the first time you've said that. No, it's not. And and he showed up and I was like, this movie, this movie has me. It, and, it does. And the I mean, dad is like, the dad, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I have to jump in this a little bit because it's this is pretty in pink. So it's, you know, sort of close to my heart. But I mean, seeing that film when I was very young, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and seeing it now, or at least in the last few years, because it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. Um, that dad is such a complicated character. Yes. And I just saw it as like totally not a thing when I was younger and now I look at it and you know even as a non-parent which no thank you yeah um I look at that and think what a shitty dad yeah but he's he's a complex character as you right. said he's he's got his own struggles he's got his own heartbreak but um, he needs to like get a job I mean yeah he's like he has responsibilities and he's got a freaking kid and like she's right like when your own daughter is telling you like you've got to forget about this woman you know and right. he's just let it drag him down and is really like lying and clearly has some addiction issues is what it seems yeah, like yeah um so anyway just very different read of it as an adult you know as like a old ass adult sure. than as a very young adult i thought it was nice to see a character that complex in in this sort of movie i also think molly ringwald is terrific uh as, as andy uh, the the two guys in the love triangle are kind of drips um i don't like ducky i don't like john crier um, going into this movie, that's all you hear about. Like, she should have gotten with Ducky. I think Ducky sucks. You know, a lot of people, though, including Molly Ringwald, talk about how during the during the during the era, really and truly, what that character was was a gay character. Is it that just, right? Yes. There's a lot of conversation about the fact that like they just couldn't really go there. But yeah. the, 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 and what a more interesting film that would have been if they could have, because then the idea is that sort of thing that happens in high school a lot, sure. which is where you know people are discovering their sexuality and you wonder if you, you, the, your best friend is maybe somebody you should be with. And and so I think that there's a really interesting story there. And I think Molly Ringwald says that that's why the audiences were so grossed out by that ending of her being with Ducky and they mm. went the other way was but not because. You know, that everybody hates Ducky like you do, but because, you know, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem like that is a couple that should be together. It seems like those are friends. It doesn't seem right because I don't like the idea of him, you know, not taking no for an answer and just kind of trying to yeah. wear her down. That That's what kind of wigs me out but that, about it. That is where it was the 80s. And that's where, like, when you don't get the girl of your dreams, you burn a house down like an endless love. Sure. Like, And that's totally, I can I can definitely attest right now that my 12-year-old self was like, yeah, burn the house down, dude. Sure. She needs to, like, know you love her. Burn the house down. I had that real feeling. 
at a point in my life. And yeah. that's what the 80s did to me. Yeah. I also have two other notes. The first, um, Annie Potts is great. Does she have a live-in hairdresser in this movie? Right. No, she's just freaking awesome. And, it's so amazing. Um, yeah. She's, and she's really fun. Just go ahead and go there. What I just need to know from you, first time seeing this as a, as a grown adult, uh-huh. what do you make of James Spader's character in this film? Um, I mean, I just I, I took away from it just like the sort of rich prick, like belittling everybody sort of thing. I, I, I mean, is there some sort of subtextual thing that I'm not picking it's up on? It's just such a strange character. I yeah. mean, he feels like a full-grown man and loafers with a cigarette that, yeah. d- that never goes to class, that just walks through the hallways and is like a grown-ass adult who's reading everybody the riot act and like, if you want to sleep with trash, sleep with trash. Right. Lines like that are just freaking amazing. And it's like mahogany office, <laughs> right. which is which is crazy. Drinking like a successfully, like professionally drinking bourbon in a way that nobody I knew even in my 20s and college years drank bourbon that way i mean just confidently drinking bourbon and 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 one more thing um i don't know anything about clothes i don't know if you could (laughs) tell by looking at me um but like the characters in this movie treat andy like she's wearing like dirty rags right because she hand makes her clothes and i look at order song yeah and i and i look at it i'm just like I mean, this look as good as any other clothes to me. But like, you're not they... getting the prep versus the freak kind of thing I here. I guess. Um, you know, which is, again, that is where you are correct to say that, like, is is John Hughes, like, totally drawing a line around stereotypes? He absolutely sure. is. It's, it's very heavy handed. I, I think that that was a bit of an eye roll at the time um, of like, oh, wow. Yeah, she's so weird. She drives a car Magia, which is a style car. Right. Um, I mean, I think all that stuff was a bit of an eye roll, but it's still the eye roll that you that everybody really, really enjoys. Kind of like it's an eye roll to order corporate Domino's pizza, but I'm going to order co- corporate Domino's pizza and eat it and enjoy it. It feels archetypal. I guess that's the word I would use. It, yeah, it's, it's a high school archetype. I think the archetype. attempt is to, be, is to do that. And I, I think it's more successful here than in The Breakfast Club. I, I agree. And I mean, you know, I, I'm going to let you, I'm going to shut up now and let you say whatever else you want to say, because I'm We'll no, that, sit that, here and talk about Pretty in Pink for the rest of the freaking app. That sums it up. I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I was really like gripped by it. Though I will say, I watched it this afternoon uh, with my wife, uh, who during the Sam Cooke like dance sequence in the record store turned to me and said, uh, "I know you like this." But am I going to have to come on the podcast and argue both of you about this movie? My wife was she, not she into it. She definitely, definitely does. Okay, she's not going to, but, well, but I'll pass that I message will, And that is an argument. When it comes to Pretty in Pink, I'm damn going to win it. Okay, I'll tell her. She won't, and I mean, she just, won't argue. I'll, I'm sending her a gif. <laughs> is it a gif or a jif? A it's gif, whatever which, your heart desires. Right. Well, I like... Jeff sounds like peanut butter. I'm going to say gif. I'm going to send her a gif of of um, James Spader's character just going, you're a bitch. <laughs> uh, I mean, not because I think that about her, but just because she doesn't like this movie. Yeah, she she probably won't understand the reference, but I'll explain it to her. Good. Okay. What are you watching? So um, you're not going to like it? Uh, I went and saw Child's Play. I, I, I want to see it. I haven't seen it. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. And I went into it with very lowered expectations. I've heard from a lot of people, oh, it's bullshit. It's trash. It's due to. And this is my question to those people who are the naysayers about Child's Play 2019. Did you guys see the original? <laughs> right. 
because the original isn't good. This, I mean, I like it. I enjoy it. I have a little, I have several little Chucky pens that I wear on my jacket. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about child's play. I love it. You know, our good friend, sidewalk supporter, Christina Lee McCarthy, a.k.a. Emily Valentine on 90210, who's been in the festival a lot, is in child's play too. Yeah. Does a really lovely job in child's play too. So I'm, I'm a big fan um, of the films, but that doesn't make the films good. And so when you remake child's play, you guys, it's not like what Gus Van Zandt did with Psycho. You know what I mean? Like we're not we're not touching a masterpiece. They can't, like what did they expect? This is it's yes, the CGI is crazy. Yes, Chucky looks funny and weird, and you got to kind of get used to it. Um, but it, it's it's really enjoyable, and it's a little nice, efficient, fairly efficient. It gets a little tedious, but you know I was expecting that. Um, but for the most part, it's a fairly efficient film. I think it's like ninety minutes or something, and um, Audrey Plaza's in it, and she's a lot of fun, um, and I, it's good. Like, it's fine. I'm receptive to it. I, I just haven't gotten a chance to go out and see it yet. Yeah, well, that's what I'm watching. Cool. Hello, everybody. And hello, Brian. Hello, Rachel. I'm here with Brian Teasley, who, um, amongst many, many things, which we'll talk about in a second, owns a wonderful place called Saturn in Birmingham, Alabama. Fair? Could, that's a fair assumption. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would say so. Yeah. It, it um, it's one of those classic kind of things where it uh, seems to have more control over me than I do of it at times. But so yeah. Saturn owns Brian, right? Okay, I like right. it. Right, and it's more like indentured servitude, right? Which is close enough, so we'll call it that. Yeah, right. Well, I thought this would be a fun time to get you in because, as you know, we're opening a movie theater. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, we are too. Um, but also just to kind of talk a little bit about some films that you like and music and all kinds sure. of stuff for uh, just a few minutes. And I'll say we've known each other for quite a while. Right. A long time. Yeah. I think uh, when I first met you, I was maybe 16. We were mm-hmm. 15, 16. Right. Um, I remember meeting you at our friend Brad's. You were sitting in our friend Brad's driveway. I don't know why we were doing that, mm-hmm. but we were sitting in our friend Brad's driveway and you had a helmet that like a motorcycle helmet that had weights on it. Really? Like Chris Penn had in the in the wildlife. And I remember thinking that you were super cool because uh, yeah. you had that helmet. I, I, I've i always felt like if I was in a bad car crash, it would uh, it's good to have a strong neck. Right. Know? Right. So, so you were just, working on that neck. Quick, yeah. Plus, I mean, car wrecks, you know, it was the 80s. Like seatbelts right. were loose. See, I mean, some, some people have the concept that it's good to know that you're not going to hit something and you just your body's kind of goosey loosey. <laughs> I'm I'm in the opposite camp. I think it's good just to have a thick squ- neck, squeeze, tighten up real quick, prepare for it, brace right. for it. So that was kind of always my thing. Yeah. So you don't remember this helmet at all? I take I it. I don't. Yeah. Well, you I had don't. it. Where um, I dreamed it. Maybe I yeah. dreamed it. No, I think you legit had it. I'm gonna bring it back then. Please I'm do. Gonna, I, well, I may have to remake it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so and you can watch the wildlife, by the way, and yes. see Chris Penn with that helmet. So you'll have a reference. Right. Um, okay, so you you owned uh, Bottle Tree, which is a sort of like, uh, you know, what do we like? I want to say mythological, but it was real, but um, mm-hmm. certainly like sort of famous, infamous. What do what do we where do we place that? Just sort of the spot that everybody nobody can quite let go of. Um, right. and, it, and it was the predecessor to Saturn. Saturn, yeah. Um, it was just kind of one of those things that happens that's um, anytime you have something that you want to call a proverbial flashpoint, however yeah. small and trivial the flashpoint may be, 
it was just a, it, it was just the right place at the right time when Birmingham needed the kind of thing that it was. Yeah. Um, and I think it was kind of uh, this. Uh, can I sh- can I say shit or get off the pot moment? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> and you just did say it, so even right. if I said no, well, I was gonna like say, well, just make it. <laughs> yeah, m- you could totally say it. So, you know, when I I I lived in uh, Brooklyn for a bit, and San Francisco, and uh, Atlanta, and I came back because I shot at like when we were in high school, I shot out of Birmingham like a rocket out of hell, and right. And then you were in a band. Yeah. I mean, you were in many bands. Let Let's be real, um, right? But you were in the band that I first remember you in as Man or Astro Man. Yeah, and that that started when we were in school in Auburn, and then we kind of left um and moved to georgia that i kind of spread out my own and i never thought i'd end up back in birmingham and when i got back here in 2001 2002 like i hated it um no offense birmingham but it was just it was a culture shock from coming from bigger cities and having been gone a long time and having toured i mean really you've toured the world fair yeah yeah i mean for better or worse it's like with different bands it's been all all 50 states and 42 countries, I think. I mean, that's so. crazy. I also, you know, not to interject myself here, but I also remember what was kind of fun about, uh, you know, having lived, having lived multiple places uh-huh. is that I remember seeing you in Boston. Right. I remember seeing you in Savannah. Uh, I can't remember. I, somewhere else, too. So it was always like I remember you touring all the time because I was just like I'd be driving past a venue and I'd be like, oh, Servitron. They're that's, right. I'm gonna go see, say hi to Brian. Well, it, it, it was like you never. We left. routed our tours around where you were. Right. I just so would, it, yeah. that was I would, kind of you an had easy a pager. Thing to, right. And I would, yeah. And if I really needed you, I'd, I'd do nine one one on right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just so because that was like important. Those were the days. You know, that was like we're out of milk. Nine one one. Right. I'll um, bring it to you. I'll be right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So I, you know, there's a few years where I just got sick of my own voice, like kind of complaining about why isn't there an yeah. independent movie theater? Why isn't there this? Why isn't there that? And it was just kind of this moment where um, I was like, well. Just be part of starting a place that is the thing that you think is missing. And maybe there's 35 other people that have the same interest or whatever. Sure. And I think it kind of became this rebellion. Birmingham people have this, um, I don't know if it's mainly traffic based, but they have this hatred of Atlanta for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And I think it was this great, like, kind of screw you to Atlanta because everybody got, had, Gotten so used to having to drive over there to go see national bands that sure. they wanted to see, and Bottle Tree was kind of a place of certain bands of a certain type and a certain ilk were coming to, and you didn't have to necessarily drive to Atlanta anymore. So, and were you using some of your connections in the music industry, having been in the music industry for so long? Were you, you know, and I mean, I say so long. I mean, certainly you're not like the Rolling. How long have the Rolling Stones been in the? You know what I mean? But like right. you, you, you spent some time. You did your time, and so were you able to use some of those connections to book bands, or how does that go down? Yeah, I mean, I guess that was one. The, the the like I still describe Bottle Tree as kind of the place that was like, um, as kind of like, you know, you know how the Peanuts kids uh, think they know how to put on a Christmas play, yeah, but of course. they really don't. That's kind of how it was. But at the same time, I had, luckily enough, had. Um, had booking agents in different bands that I was in so I could contact them about the other bands they booked. Right. So that was probably a slight advantage I had because I 
hack connections through that and be like, oh, hey, and you know, you also book Mon Honey or you also book TV on the radio or whoever. Yeah. Can you tell them to come play this weird little place? So yeah. And what's the hardest thing about like what's the hardest thing about running a venue in Birmingham, Alabama? Um, you know, it's part of it. I think is what you'd be surprised demographically is Birmingham is so spread out land mass wise mm-hmm. that say I don't know uh, a, mod- a a band that would sell out the venue like Beach House right um, we depend a lot on, you'd be amazed at how many people come to see a band like that at Saturn from Huntsville from Mobile from Tuscaloosa like there's just not enough. You know, like Birmingham's greater metro is 1.2 million, yeah. but it's like, right. And like you get a city like, you know, Portland that's a f- few few more million or whatever, but it's like, yeah. it's all like that crunched together. And so part of it's density. And um, I think it's just, it's right on that fine line of just trying to, um, Trying to make it so you can be diverse enough to. I like being diverse. I like having hip hop one night. I like having like mm-hmm. then having like a, a doom metal show the next night. Then having right. a free jazz show the night. Like that's interesting to me, and that keeps it interesting. But you have to do that in Birmingham because if we were just like a whatever, like an alt country venue or sure. an indie rock venue or whatever. You, you can't depend on enough of a crowd to be able to sustain that. Right. Like in Brooklyn, you know, you can have like, you could book a dude with a tambourine and people will come out. Uh, right. I mean, that's how they have a rice pudding restaurant, you know, it's like there's enough people in the building above it. Right. To just keep it alive. Yeah. So it's well, kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, tambourine. I, I think they have just a, a, Mor- <laughs> a Morocco only venue there. But they, I bet they do. They it's do the, in re- the Morocco district. They do the Morocco district. They do a residency with the guy. For uh, actually, I think the guy that plays Morocco's only in the Brian Jonestown Massacre, like yes. uh, is part owner. That makes so, perfect sense. Yeah. So all his friends come. Really, it's hard to get in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you only fit twelve people in there, but <laughs> it's fifty dollars a head. So and it's, the rent's like a million a month. Right. So. Right. No, it's um. We can keep doing that forever. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know. I've thought about my own Morocco bar. <laughs> Um, future days future days right no it's kind of silly how artisanal and 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 esoteric things have gotten uh, yeah. as far as like how um how generalization has kind of gone out the window and now it's like we're gonna do this one thing it's kind of like which always scares me because it's like those kind of people that just like ska music or something and it's right. just like like don't branch Don't go out past that. Like, yeah like this like you Still, know you're just picking on ska now right. but i mean that tends to be a genre that people really get like dig their heels in right that's why i'm trying to like i've tried to like branch i'm trying to come up with new genres for people to like and by just crushing two genres together and i've got uh rasta billy and scospel <laughs> and um i have alt right alternative that's one of my last favorite ones <laughs> and uh a few a few others that i'm trying to trying to work i can't on. wait for those venues to launch oh oh oh, oh and uh shoe grass that's perfect yeah i love it it's like my bloody valentine kind of doing like um earl scruggs right but loud yeah yeah exactly so 
I okay. So to get, to keep it really real, uh, have you guys had any trouble with um, booking bands with all the stuff that's going on politically in Alabama? We're having we're beginning. I can't even say beginning. We're having some damn trouble. Are right, you right? Um, no, not really. Not you know that, what? That's good to hear. I mean, it really is. You know, I it might get to that point. Um, We've been around for a little bit, and then there's the slight connection that it was coming out of Baltry. So there's enough that, like, you know, we kind of explain that, you know, we're in this bubble, yeah. and um, for better or worse, and that we're trying to actually step up our game right. with things like that. And um, we're doing coming up. It'd be really interesting because we're having a show with Pussy Riot from. Yep. I have tickets to that, which awesome. I'm fortunate to have yeah. because I know a lot of people are scrambling. So that should be. So that's sort of like, gosh, I don't want to put it this way because it's going to sound awful, but it kind of that's benefiting you in a certain way because you're being able to land a band that wouldn't necessarily normally come to town because they have something to say about what the hell's right. going on. It, w- it was in the works before that, but that really pushed okay. it over the yeah. um, the edge to kind of make an appeal of like, you know, um, you, you know, like I think it, I think it's dangerous to like. You know, I don't I don't like necessarily being the overtly in your face political guy that has a business. But I think what I've always wanted to do, both with neighborhood from neighborhood gentrification to the things we do to give back to the community, to things we do politically is represented by what we put on and what we do. Um, And I like that kind of statement a lot more than. Well, that said, I'm I'm broken my rule a lot <laughs> yeah well it's but it's just i feel like really feel, hard times right now really politically so right and 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 it's um i don't know i feel like you have to kind of stand up for something or or like you know when we were in high school if there wasn't those even fewer little bastions of luck Street sure. and Dr. Jekylls and weird little places that people hung out that were punk rockers. Storkland. Right. Basement. It's like. And you put on shows at Tuxedo Junction. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. you were you were booking shows back when you were 16 years old, you know. I yeah, mean, I'm sure was, you remember that. But Yeah. I was, you know, um, like Jennifer and Tom Bagby were doing a lot of those. I was running sound for them. And then I did a lot of the ones in Auburn. Yeah. Um, but the. Um, it was. It's, it's the kind of situation where, like, I sometimes I, I don't think so. But I wonder, like. Would I be some crazy, like, redneck guy that watches Fox News all the time if I hadn't got to see punk rock shows and had that yeah. outlet when I was hmm. uh, I don't know. 15? I, I, well, I, you know. Doubt it, but. And that's why I think it's also important that, like, on a tangential note, you have places like Saturn or even Bottle Tree to an extent um, that are quote unquote proper venues um saturn obviously being more of a professional proper venue than bottle tree was but it's really those kind of places like the firehouse and cave nine and people that do house parties sure that really are ground zero and matter the most because Mm -hmm. you know it's when you're 15 14 15 16 that determines like if you're gonna love music and art and follow a path where you see that Artists very uh, important in defining the human spirit, defining uh, the political nature, de- defining overall aesthetics for the entire universe. 
And those places are are really the places that matter most. Cause, and if yeah. those places go away, then everything goes away. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. <clears throat> and Birmingham's always had a an interesting scene. You know, I, I think, I mean, I was gone for many years like you were, but it's always seemed like, you know, whenever I do come back, it's like, hey, there's a show at this place or it's it's been, you know, Birmingham's a thing. It's It's got its own kind of stuff going on. I yeah. mean, maybe every place is like that. I'm just, you know, particular to this one because it's where I grew up. I don't know. There's, you know, I will say this. There are way too many good shows in Birmingham than there should be. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that, like, Birmingham deserves everything it is, but I was just recently in Memphis and, like, places that you would think were like, oh, Memphis is going to have more shows, more this and that. And it's amazing how much more we get here than uh, than a lot of towns. And, you know, because people talk about all the the movement with the tech boom and a lot of the great things right. that are happening in Huntsville. And I just, I couldn't move to Huntsville on it. No offense to people from Huntsville, but like, just cause it doesn't have near the show selection and the music scene yeah. that we have here. Yeah, I agree. Um, again, no offense, Huntsville. Well, let me, we can do this all day and maybe we'll do a part two of this, but let me kind of switch gears a little bit and, yeah. and like land us on, cause I promise you only a few minutes here and, that's usually the way we do it, but right. So you're a science fiction fan, correct? Mm-hmm. So is your favorite? Tell us your favorite film, and I know that's a hard question for folks, but tell us your favorite film, and is it a science fiction film? Uh, I don't. You know, I would say I don't know. I, I can tell you some of my favorite films. I'm never good with like my favorite. I know it's a really unfair question um, too, but yeah, give us a give us a top few. Okay. Or at least up there, even if they're not at number one. Up there. Uh, some, I really like the Sydney Lumet film, Network. I really mm-hmm. like um, Battle for Algiers. Um, you know, as far as like, I, I've watched a ton of documentaries, Hearts yeah. and Minds and yeah. Harlan County, USA, uh, Vernon, Florida. So you know, st- a lot of those classics. Um, uh, that's a nice little uh, list you just gave folks. I mean, if you you know, if you've only seen one or two of those, or maybe none of them, that's a great or revisiting them. Yeah, that's so a good little list. Um, and I like a lot of movies that aren't necessarily very cohesive or very good, but like also shouldn't exist. Like <laughs> whatever, uh, Putney Swope or something like yeah. that. That just like why did this get made or how did it get made? <laughs> like if it wasn't 1969 and right. you know, it's just like, uh, so, um, the, um, but science fiction wise, I really like that, uh, Frankenheimer movie seconds just cause I like the whole idea of like kind of recreating like who you are and then, you know, cause it becomes rock Hudson and, you yeah. know, and this has, and I like Blade Runner, the original Blade uh, yeah. Runner, so much. And um, I like uh, the original Solaris, uh, La Jetée by the Chris Chris Marker. Right. It's like one of my favorite in, in my top five favorite and a, films. And a quick one to watch too. Oh, I know my favorite film of all time, and I, you know, I know uh, uh, my favorite film of all time is is uh, there's something that. I like Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin and and, and Metropolis nice. and all the, all these things that kind of talk about the 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 push for perfection of modernism and the modern of the modern world, but how much goes wrong with it. And uh, Tati's Playtime is probably probably my there you go. my and because it, it's it's 
it doesn't even although the sound is so inventive and was such a huge influence on kubrick and stuff like that as far as like how like fun and heavy-handed the sound effects are in it but you can watch it with the sound it's one of those things that i have can be playing at saturn and i'll just stop and watch 30 minutes right Yeah. yeah so Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is a that's an awesome little list to land on. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we'll probably I might try to drag you back in here for for a part two of this later um, down the road. If we, yeah. If we can keep going with this thing. Absolutely. I don't know how long about well we'll put up with this, but there we'll was see. a guy. Um, I don't know if you remember. Is probably around the time we were in college that, um, uh, took no, it was actually high school. Took over a radio station and forced somebody to play. Dear God, by XTC with a knife for for like th- thirty hours straight. <laughs> no, that wait, where that was here? No, that wasn't in Birmingham. Oh, okay, I was gonna I'm say. I'm just saying, but if we want to do that kind of thing too, I got. I'm that, into that. I got that in my arsenal. So. So guess what, Boutwell? You guys are making podcasts, sidewalks, sidewalk, sidewalk uh, podcasts from here forward, whether you like it or not. And then I'm gonna put the knife to everybody's throat to not play yeah, that XTC we, song. We, we can lock this place down. I, I think I, so. I, I know all the exit ways. Yeah. I, got it, I got it. Yeah, we yeah. got it covered. Cool. Well, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. What's this shit? I, I can't go that high or I'd join, join I know. Every, it's never going to It's never gonna go away, though. I'm going to do it every damn time from here until, well, you know, whenever that may be. <laughs> Uh, the podcasts are dropping like flies. Anyway, what's the shit? I'm at the Cardio Cinema. I'm on the tread. You're still trying to make that happen. I'm still trying to make it happen. Okay. And what do I see? But once again, Chris Pine's face, which makes me think there's a chance because, you know, they recycle this crap over and over again. There's a chance that I could be seeing a different section of a film and it could be the same film we've talked about before. So we'll see if this is the case. Okay. okay? So I see Chris Pine. I'm sta- I'm standing by the fact that... That man is scary to look at. He is not handsome. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but his face is terrifying. I think it's really weird. Um, and I don't feel bad saying that and body shaming or face shaming. I guess it's face shaming somebody because people clearly think he's fine, hot, and he's a millionaire. Um, but anyway, he's in this thing. There's somebody who from profile looks, I think it's from profile, looks like maybe Liam Neeson, but I'm very pleased to see that it's not because his face looks like sandwich meat. Oh, my God. Um, you, you're coming in I'm with the hot really, takes about... I am hot takes about menses um and then i'm gonna throw another one at you and that is what is going on with daniel craig's head he is like the missing link um okay so there's all three of the i think that's who's in this i could have gotten this jumbled up with another day um but anyway that's all happening there's a light bulb and they're trying to make a woman a hot lady eat a light bulb on the back of a limo what I'm telling you, it's it's one of those like energy efficient light bulbs and, Eat and a light bulb. Yeah, and he's like, there's a long monologue about. I, I take it you don't know what this is, so we're going to like maybe counter it because there's a long monologue about how this woman, when she eats this light bulb, is going to bad things are going to happen to her. And I was like, wait, I kind of want to like go pause this and rewind it because, like, does just by the nature of it being a, a, an energy efficient light bulb, is it? Can we not eat those? I mean, I don't want to eat one, but like, I mean, is, is there it mercury so de- in there? I don't know. Maybe I don't. Well, I don't. We have so many things to answer, but one <laughs> of them is that you don't know what the hell this movie is, and then second of all, we need to know what the dangers of eating a LED light bulb is. I truly don't know what this movie is. Uh, you, you say it has Chris Pine. Okay, so I could be wrong. I know it has Chris Pine. I know it has a hot lady. I could be wrong about the other people, but there's definitely a light bulb eating. I mean, she doesn't actually eat it, but. 
Okay, yeah, so I have I've no got, idea what this is. Well, You've I've got stumped you me. stumped. Okay, you stumped so me. we'll pause this one and come back to it later. What's this shit? Sam, did you find out what this was? Jack Ryan, there's a light bulb torture scene. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, Chris Pine's not doing the light bulb forcing. I he's, saw this he's movie doing, in the he's theater. Doing, he's doing the ladies, lady saving. I paid nine bucks to see this at the theater in Vestavia. And I have no memory of this. You're gonna have to eat a light bulb now. I guess. Kira Knightley's in that movie. <laughs> yes, she is. You know what? You know what? Whenever you don't get these right, you have to eat a, an energy efficient light bulb. God. Okay. It's a rule. So we'll be back on the on the podcast later with the full definition of what this film is, and also some information about eating light bulbs. And now, fast film terms. It's time for fast film terms. Fast film terms. Said like that, real fast. So, what in the heck is a is a Alan Smithy film? So Alan Smithy was a pseudonym adopted, I believe, by the Directors Guild of America uh, for a large part of the 20th century. Essentially, uh, a pseudonym put on films when uh, the principal creative, usually the director, was angry that the film uh, did not turn out well or was meddled with by producers or was somehow um, taken away from the director's control. Uh, In response to this, uh, the director presumably feeling that the film was no longer his or her work, took their name off of it, put the Alan Smithy credit on there. You'll see this pop up in a lot of films, uh, notably, I think, the TV edit of Dune, which David Lynch was not involved with. Wow. Okay, cool. So I've got a fast film term for you. Let's hear it. It's a match cut. Do you know what a match cut is? Yeah, um, I do. Um, uh, trick in editing to uh, match one image uh, with a sudden cut to another image uh, that's somehow related or compatible, like the famous match cut in Lawrence of Arabia with, well, a literal match uh, cutting to, I think, the sunset. Right. Or in 2001, A Space Odyssey, a bone flies up in the air, and that bone is uh, then cut to a similar-shaped spacecraft. Yeah. It's loaded with meaning. Yeah. And not to be confused with a match on action or a match action, a match cut is its own thing. Yeah. So now it's time for Cal's Corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. Hi, this is Sidewalk Memories. I mean, it was either in 2007 or 2008 uh, on a Saturday night, and I just wrapped up a Q&A at the Carver Theater. And um, I I think it was probably one of Joe Swanberg's films. I'm not positive, but it was because I was leaving the theater with um, with Joe and Greta Gerwig and David Lowry. And we were planning on catching the Saturday Saturday night party later, and we needed to catch a ride on the um, the sidewalk shuttle. So, um, and the the Fourth Avenue Jazz Festival was happening right there, and we um, we just needed to walk a block down uh, to catch where the shuttle picks up. We walked past a row of police officers that were just kind of chilling out because the festival was going on and they were on duty for the fest. And, um, we were standing on the corner, just kind of waiting for the shuttle. I think I'd even like texted them just saying like, Hey, we have a pickup right here. So we're just hanging out and we're just talking about something or laughing about something. And all of a sudden, another block South of where we are right in ice, uh, line of sight, we heard a pow, 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 pow. Actually, it was just three shots. But, um, yeah, uh, someone uh, just fired away. And uh, as we looked down, three guys ran in separate directions away from this car. And um, 
one dude just kind of ran right past us, like virtually on the sidewalk, but cut through uh, across the parking lot we were standing by. And then all of a sudden, the uh, police, they just get into their cars and start flooring it down 17th Street. And Greta Gerwig actually pulled this move. She goes, wait, he went that way and pointed uh, to the other direction. And... um, and we we still stood there just kind of just shell-shocked and um, didn't really know what was going on. And uh, eventually the shuttle picked us up and um, we we drove around, kind of um, reflected on what had just happened. And by the way, I don't think there were any casualties to this story, but we were uh, driving and crossed over the intersection of 20th Street and... Uh, the police had already um, detained one suspect, had him sitting down on the ground with his uh, hands cuffed behind his back. And um, yeah, that was one of the weirdest sidewalk memories I've ever had. I certainly imagine that the uh, directors of Lady Bird, Drinking Buddies, and A Ghost Story can uh, at least have something to hang on to when they talk about their memories of of going to Birmingham. (laughs) All right, I'm Colin McKinnon, and that's Sidewalk Memories. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. So thank you uh, for listening to Side Talks this week. Uh, We'd like to also say thanks to our friends here at Boutwell Studios for uh, hosting us, recording us, editing us, making us sound like we know what we're talking about when in fact we do only some of the time. And um, thanks to Splash96 for our awesome theme song. As always, we love it, and uh, we hope you do too. What's our, uh, what's our hashtag? Hashtag this week. Um, hashtag. <laughs> You're supposed to know this off the top of your head. Hashtag side talks. Oh, I, okay. So what's our question this week? Hashtag side talks. Let us know what you think about. Um... Long pauses. <laughs> in podcasts <laughs> in podcast outros <laughs> hashtag let us know what your favorite film is yeah why not and also uh, rate and review us on iTunes uh, we, we sure would appreciate that subscribe if you haven't uh, check us out on social media um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and um, the Sidewalk Film Festival is coming up uh, yeah. at the end of August Party. we sure would appreciate it if you came to it and watched some movies um, by the time this episode drops, you should have a pretty clear idea of uh, some, if not a lot, of the Maybe. movies <laughs> that we will Maybe. be screening we'll at see. our film festival. Uh, for listeners, uh, it turns out that it's difficult to run one of these things. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if you have any questions, uh, reach out to us uh, through that hashtag. We'd be happy to answer them. We're your own personal cinematic Garfield and Odie. Right, Lasagna. Which one, which one am I? What do you mean? You're Odie. No, come on. I'm I a- want lasagna. I'm lasagna. I'm yeah, Garfield. But, uh, you know my cat thing. I've got a oh, cat whatever. thing. Come on. You know what? I've Garfield I've got no normal. dog in this fight. Garfield and Nermal. How about that? I'll be <laughs> I'll be Nermal. That's fine. Thanks I'll for let listening. you think you're Garfield. Bye. Thank, thanks. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>